Thank you, Carolyn. Choir, orchestra, bring back the glory. Will you take your Bibles and turn with me to the Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. Remember, this is God's inspired word. And it carries all the authority that the book of Romans or the book of Proverbs or the book of Psalms would carry. And yet it is very straightforward, it is romantic, it is erotic, it is descriptive. And we shall try to deal with this passage in all of those ways. It is still the second song of the seven songs. And it is the courtship stage. A Shulamite woman from the Galilean territory has fallen in love with Solomon the king. He already has several marriages, but they're political. This is the love of his life, for which he wrote the song of all songs. Of all of the 2,005 songs that Solomon had written, this, he said, is his very, very best. Save for the one that he really genuinely loved. Now, this is very frank and very plain. One of our men, David Jones, after the Living Bible came out, he took parts of the Song of Solomon and uh, printed them on a paper and took it down to his office before he retired at Reynolds and said, I want you to read this and tell me where you think it came from. Some said uh, Penthouse, the magazine. How many know what Penthouse is? Well, yeah, I'm not going to get any takers on that one. Uh, Hustler, I, I don't know what these, ma I think they're magazines. Are, are they magazines, Buck? Do you know? <laughs> Penthouse, Hustler, somebody said Playboy, somebody said it's pure pornography. He said, this is God's Word. Song of Solomon. Look at it. Our subject today is the romantic power of a woman. You women have far more power over men than you ever dreamed you have. Mostly we talk about the power of a man over a woman. But folks, a woman has a fantastic, incredible power over a man. Now, if you have not discovered that, you are in for the time of your life. I want you to read with me beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. Listen carefully. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me, and I said, Have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed them by when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Isn't that exciting? In these four verses contain all the passion and the romance that a woman can turn on a man. It is uh, a, an instruction for women and men who are married 
it is instruction for those who are single but want to know how to treat a man someday. But it is also a symbolism of the church and Christ between Solomon and his bride. The power that a woman has over a man is, is indicative of the power that the church has with Christ. And before we are done, we want to see how this passionate power to love applies to our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I call this the, the romantic power of a woman. Now, before we go into the, the four powers that you have, I want to remind you of three things. Marriage was intended for permanency. It is intended forever. Now, some of you have chosen to be single, and some of you by circumstance, often tragic circumstance, are single. But this is uh, a, a standard of God's that marriage is intended in the will of God to be permanent. It is forever. That means that though I won't be married in heaven, as long as relationships on earth last, I need to work hard at loving my wife, and she needs to work hard at loving me. Amen? Amen. Now, secondly, marriage was intended by God for unity. He intended for a man and a woman to be one. There is a union that takes place in godly marriage, which should be exhibited by the way we make decisions, by the way we think about each other. We are one in Christ. And thirdly, marriage was intended by God for intimacy. Remember, God created us. God made us. He made us sexual beings. He made us men and women. He created the desire within us for men and women, for each other. He gave us this passion. And God intended for that passion to be used within the bounds of marriage. Now, this is courtship, but she's getting ready for her marriage in the next chapter. And, uh, and so she's, she's thinking about him. She's got her mind on him. And all the passion and the romance of any Danielle Steele uh, book or movie is found right here in the book of the Song of Solomon. Now look at the four powers that a woman has over a man. First, she has the power of communicating her passion. The communication of power of her, of her passion is a demonstration of her power. She has a power away with a man when she communicates her passion. Most of us women sit back and wait for a man to come to us and initiate everything. But you have no idea what happens when a woman initiates passion and communicates that passion for a man. She is unlocking something inside him. The Holy Spirit takes that passion and he connects it with a need in his life. And there's a, a jump start between those two that does something to the man you women have no idea about. There is no way a woman will ever understand that. And all the men said, Amen. I got to keep you involved somehow here. Now, when a woman communicates her passion to a man, what she's doing is affirming his manhood. If you've ever seen a man leave a woman because he says he's emasculated, he doesn't feel like a man, somewhere there was a failure to communicate your passion for your husband. That is not a dirty passion. It is not a filthy passion. It is a pure passion within the confines of marriage. 
And that passion, when communicated, gives a woman tremendous power with a man. It is affirming his humanity, his manhood. It makes him sense who he is and undergirds and reinforces that he is a man. Now, we're living in a day when the world is trying to make men more like women and women more like men. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm ready to preach anything that will help a woman to feel more like a woman and a man to feel more like a man is a godly contribution to the problem of family breakup in America today. And here's what affirms manhood, is a woman communicating her passion to her husband. Now, I'd like to ask you four questions this morning. I'd like to ask you about your marriage. Number one, what have you done lately to add sizzle to your romance in your marriage? Come on. What have you done lately to add sizzle to your romance? Sizzle to your passion. Do you know what I mean by sizzle? If you don't know what I mean by sizzle, we're going to have to have another session when this service is over. My birthday keeps coming around every year. It comes up this week. And one year, several years ago on my birthday, Shirley blindfolded me and kidnapped me. Now, you want to you communicate passion, here's a good idea for you. I mean, this communicated all kinds of passion. And uh, I, I didn't even object, and I didn't dial 911, and I had several chances to. She kidnapped me and blindfolded me and put me in the car and started driving. I was trying to figure out where we were going. And she wound up taking me on I-40 and turning off at the Cherry Street exit. And we wound up, she was leading me blind into this motel. Now, I am fairly well known around this city. And uh, for a dark-haired woman to be dragging this blindfolded man into a motel in the middle of the afternoon was going to look a little hunky. And besides that, the Jimmy Swagger thing had just happened, and everybody was aware of it. And I said, dear, you've got to take the, the blind off. I, I cannot, we can't walk in there like this. I mean, there'll be rumors all over everywhere about me being out with this young woman. And she took me to the Brookstown Inn. And there inside are all those old beds. And why are old things always more romantic? But she thought it was romantic. And, and the fire is lit down in the fireplace. And, and there's warm punch waiting for you. And, and I'm telling you, folks, it sizzled that night. <laughs> that sizzle. What have you done lately to add sizzle to your marriage? Secondly, what have you done lately, ladies, that initiated a passionate kiss? You know, I'd recommend that you hide behind the door one day when your husband's coming home. And as he walks in the door and throws that door open, you just jump out at him and grab him for all he's worth and plant one on his secret target zone. Now, you want me to tell you where mine is, don't you? I'm not going to do it. You'll have to figure out your own husband's target zone. But there's a place where if you kiss him, you press wild red buttons and they go off. And uh, you will know when they go off. 
And so I want to ask you today, when's the last time you initiated a passionate kiss? The Bible speaks of romance as pure. It speaks of romance as unadulterated. The book of Hebrews says the marriage bed is honorable. It is undefiled. It is pure within the context of marriage. Amen? Thirdly, let me ask you this. When is the last time that you communicated directly to your husband that you desired him and you would like to see him? Can you imagine what would happen if my wife walked up in the office in the middle of an afternoon? It's 2.30. And she goes pantingly to every room and says, Is my husband in here? Is my husband in here? Where is he? I want him. I need him. Do you know what I would do? I would come out of hiding in a half a second and say, what was that? Say it one more time. I want to hear that once more. <laughs> and there I would be. Tell me, when is the last time you called your husband in the middle of the day? Say, honey, what time are you going to get off tonight? I can hardly wait till I see you. Come on, ladies, tell me that. When's the last time you did that? If you would do that, I promise you things will happen you never dreamed could happen. You will restore a passion to your marriage that ought to characterize every godly union. Let me ask you a, a fourth question. A fourth question. Have you ever told your husband what was the moment of greatest satisfaction and enjoyment? that you have had since you've been married to him. Think about that and tell him. And by telling him, you will remind him. And by reminding him, you will put ideas in his mind. You think you have no power over a man? You have an enormous power over a man. When you communicate passion, you affirm that he is a man. And you say to him, I respect you and I care for you. The second power the woman has over a man is the power from acting on her passion. She now not only communicates, some say this is a dream on her bed. Others say this is an experience. But either way, the truth is the same. There's power from acting on your passion. She says I, in verse 2, I will rise now, I said, and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. She went everywhere. She got up out of bed and went everywhere looking for him. She acted on her passion. And that is one of the great powers that you have over a man. When you do that, you affirm his importance. You affirm that he is a priority in, in your life. You affirm that he is significant to you. And girls, this is true even if you're not married. This, this is going to happen. You've got to learn how to build that husband. It is like edifying a Christian. Giving praise and acting upon that praise is like edifying a believer. When I do that to my wife, I am edifying her and building her up romantically. When she does that to me, she is building me up romantically. It is a valid principle, acting on your passion. And it affirms our priority that I am important in her life, and that she is important in my life. Now, this same power can be used for good or evil. Turn back to the book of Proverbs chapter 22. I mean, excuse me, chapter 6, and verse 22, 23, 24. 
but start with 24. Proverbs chapter 6. Now here's Solomon, who is the husband in the Song of Solomon, is the father giving advice in the book of Proverbs. A woman who can use this power well on her husband, but it can also be used for evil. Look at verse 24. To keep you from the evil woman, he's writing to his son, from the flattering tongue of a seductress, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Ladies, you have the power to reduce that stubborn husband to a piece of limp crust. Did you realize that? That's an evil woman's power. Now notice what Solomon says to the son. This woman, this evil woman, has a smooth tongue. No adulteress, no seductress ever set out to criticize and complain and nag the man she's trying to hook. And sometimes you women wonder why your husband gets turned off to you. If your tongue is not smooth but sharp, if your tongue is not smooth but critical and you are always running him down and always finding fault and always trashing him, especially in front of his children, you have demeaned that man and you have used that tongue and that power you have just as in a wrong way. Not even an adulteress would do that. And then you wonder why he's open to the arms of another woman. When you've been cutting him down for 22 years, stop cutting him down. Learn a lesson from the seductress. She had a smooth tongue. Verse 24. She was a beautiful woman. Verse 25. And she had seductive eyes. I don't know whether she had windshield wipers on or what, but she had seductive eyes. Have you ever seen women with those long fake eyelashes? Uh, uh, that's really something. You kiss them and they can clean your eyes for you just by flipping them a couple of times. Now, the truth is, in certain places in America, like New York City, you're not to make eye contact ever with a woman because that's flirting with a woman. And New Yorkers are taught, is that true? New York, New Yorkers, are, who's lived in New York? Anybody? Anybody out here? I know when I sit in a subway in New York or in a bus, nobody looks at you. They just walk right on by. Way down here, but, hi, you know, how you doing, Ducky? Nice to see you, Lynn. Good to see you. You don't think anything about me looking you in the eye, do you? doesn't mean anything. But ladies, listen to me. That power you have can be used for evil. Those eyes can be seductive, flashing them at him. That body can be beautiful, and you can throw it at him. That tongue can be soothing. And when a man gets soothed talk from, his, from a woman, and he gets sharp, cutting, ferocious, critical talk from his wife, guess which one he'd rather be around? How many of you men would rather be cut down any day than to have a smooth tongue from a woman? There are no volunteers in the building. And all the men said, come on, guys, you got to give me more support than that. And all the men, I'm running for president here. All the men said, Amen. 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 The third power a woman has over a man is power from boldness in her passion. 
when she has boldness in her passion. Power to communicate praise, power to act upon, and power to act upon it in an open way, unashamedly. Look at verse 3. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? She was not ashamed. Lady, what are you doing out here in the middle of the night? I'm looking for my lover. Lady, what are you doing out here in the middle of the night? I'm looking for my lover. She was not ashamed of him. There was a boldness in her passion. Some of you women are married to men who were raised by fathers who came up in the Depression. They had it tough. They think everybody else had it tough, was supposed to have it tough. They never ta were taught how to love, how to touch, how to hug, how to feel. And you wonder why your husband doesn't know how to hug, how to touch, how to feel. Well, you have the power to teach him that by communicating your passion, acting upon your passion, and doing it boldly and openly so your children know how to love their spouses when they get old enough to get married. I love to practice in front of my grandchildren just to make sure they all get it. To take their grandmother in my arms and hug them. And I did it the other day and, and little Mar uh, uh, Emily said, what you doing, Papa? <laughs> I said, someday you'll know, honey. Someday you'll know. But I think there is something that happens when a woman is unashamed of her husband. It affirms his identity. It affirms who he is. Not only is his manhood affirmed, not only is his, uh, his uh, uh, importance and priority affirmed, but it affirms his, his identity as a man and as a husband and as your husband. It reinforces what God has, has enforced in your vow. And so she goes about the city saying, I have, I'm looking for my lover and I'm not ashamed for you to know about it. I would encourage you to restore some kind of passion that shows you're not ashamed of your husband. Now, I'm not saying you should go as far as Mar Maribel Morgan. You remember in her first book on Total Woman, she suggested that you wrap yourself in saran wrap and meet your husband when he comes in the door wrapped in saran wrap. That's a little honky if I can say so. But I do think that in front of other people, in front of your family, in front of his family, there are times when you should be boldly showing your passion and don't be ashamed to do it. We have nothing to be ashamed of. Passion is not wrong. Passion is not dirty. Passion is not evil. It can be distorted. It can be abused. But it has its rightful place in a relationship. You may not be a public person. But there are still times when you need to show and demonstrate passion in order to affirm that you are unafraid to identify and be identified with him. Now, the fourth power that a woman has is power from the embrace of her passion. There's an embrace that takes place here when in verse 4 she says, Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I like this part. <laughs> I grabbed him and held him and would not let him go. Wow. Have you done that to your husband lately? Have you said, come here, you Cary Grant, Elvis Presley, and, and Tom, what's his name, all rolled into one. I'm going to embrace you. Pow. Have you done that lately? Huh? 
trying to cover all the ages here. <laughs> Have you done that? You know what this Hebrew word is? The Hebrew word here means it's a military hug. It's, it's the hug of a man who has captured a prisoner and is bound not, and determined not to let him go until he's properly secured. That's exactly the word here. She found him and she embraced him. And the scripture says she held him and would not let him go until she had brought him to the house of her mother. She got back to familiar surroundings where she could make sure that his love was secure for her because the wedding is going to happen in the next chapter. Now, when a woman embraces a man, it affirms his completeness. It affirms his completeness. God made man, and then he looked at man, and he saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So he created a woman who shows the nature and character of God that a man doesn't show. And together, they form a completeness, a union, a man and a woman. And that is symbolized in the, in the marriage embrace. It stands for the two become one. Their bodies interlocked in an embrace. I forget where I was the other day and there was a man, and he said to me, Brother Mark, he said, I feel so close to you. I need a hug from you. Would you give me a hug? And I said, yes. And so I hugged him because he said he felt close and he needed a hug from me. I have little girls that come up to me here in church, and they'll say, uh, my papa lives a long way off. Would you give me a hug? What does a hug say? That embrace says, I want to hold you and keep you because I love you. And it affirms that he is whole. That he's, now, again, I don't mean to put down anybody who's single, who's chosen to be single, or single out of tragic circumstances. I'm telling you what is God's ideal in the sense of marriage. And that is that we affirm a man that we are one with him. That we are one with him in spirit. That we are one with him in idea. We are one with him in attitude. We are one with him in goal. Embracing that man. Don't just wait for him to embrace you. You have the power to embrace him. And when you do, you do something to him that never happens to him when he just takes the initiative to embrace you. And that is you affirm his completeness. And in every one of those four ways, we learn something about the passion we ought to have for our Lord Jesus Christ. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. He is the Solomon. We're the Shulamite woman. And in the same way, we ought to give praise as the woman communicates her passion and, and affirms his, uh, the man's humanity and his manhood. In the same way, when I give praise to Christ in my relationship, when I reach out to him in praise, I am affirming who he is, the one and only Savior on whom I totally depend. This week I sat down to make out my prayer notebook. I have praise over here and petition in the middle and personal over here. And I sat down to write down the things I was praising the Lord for and ducking my mind was so full of petitions I couldn't think of anything to praise God for. And I felt so ashamed before God. Nobody else was looking. I just closed my prayer book and said, Lord, I'm just going to sit here until my mind and my soul and my heart are filled with things that you have done for me. 
And when I began to think about those and pray and ask God to call those to mind, the praise started coming out of my lips. I began to write things down, and it was altogether different. When you write down, when you, when you begin praising Him, can you imagine how Christ feels? I know how I feel when my wife praises me, and that is just one little part of what Jesus must feel when we give Him praise because we have a passionate love affair with Christ. And notice the second power a woman has. It's the power of the church to act upon her passion. I call that the power that the church has of obedience. An obedient church has the right to expect the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the groom of the church and the head of the church, we have a right to expect that he will empower us for every single thing we do in his name. And if I'm in a marriage that God has, has brought about and blessed, I have every confidence God can give me the power and the sense and the wisdom and the patience to carry out that marriage. Amen? And thirdly, there is power that comes from boldness in her passion. For the Christian in his attitude or her attitude towards Christ is the power of spiritual identification. I am a Christian because I died with Christ at Calvary. My sins were on him. He died for me, so therefore I am now dead to sin. I am a Christian because I have been made one with Christ in the resurrection. He was raised for me, and I have the promise of the resurrection, and I'm one with him in that resurrection. He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and I am positioned at the right hand of the Father because I am in Christ, and he is in me. And I know I have whatever petitions I desired of him. And the fourth power a woman has is the power of spiritual union. Then it is that power that comes when we embrace, when you embrace your husband. And for the church to publicly embrace Christ and unashamedly embrace Christ. You know, we don't owe an explanation to the world for what we do. We don't have to stand before the world. Our explanation is this, I belong to Jesus Christ. Like the bishop who was martyred in the first century. Well, as he burned at the stake, he said, I have served Christ for all these 86 years, and I will not renounce him now. That, my friend, has great power, great power before the world. You may not agree with me. You may not like what I say. But the reason I do it is because I belong to Jesus Christ. And he has given me orders. And when I am acting on his behalf and I am one with him, then I can expect that he will take care of me. In both identification and spiritual union, that's the truth. That's how you get along with a marriage. Marriage isn't difficult. A godly marriage is not hard. It's impossible by yourself. And the only way you can do it is with the power of Christ. I remember some years ago when one of our girls, I don't remember whether it was Becky or Amy, but I was mowing the lawn when one of them came up and said, Daddy, it's time for me to learn the, how to mow the lawn. And I said, well, get in here. And she said, I can't push it. So I kind of set my hands on the handle and then pushed it along with her for a while. And we made it all the way up through one run and all the way back through the other run. And she said, I'm tired, Daddy. I've got to quit. <laughs> now, I was tired too. When you mow straddling a little lady with your hands over here and you're mowing like this, I'm telling you, that'll wear you out. Two long runs will do you in. Your sacroiliac will be back to iliac. And uh, 
But when I got done with the run, I stood there by the mower for a moment and I thought, isn't that just like God? She thought she was pushing the mower when all the time I was. And when I take my marriage or my life, whatever is my, 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 my parenting, whatever is my challenge, when I take that and hand it over to him because I'm one with him, he gets a straddle me and over me and he provides the power so that I can make it all the way to the end of the run. It's Christ who makes a difference in a marriage. It's Jesus who makes the difference in a home. It's Christ who makes the difference in parenting. It's Jesus who makes the difference when you're battling with your temper. It's Christ who gives you the power. It's our job to cooperate with Him in that union, in that marriage. And He takes over and gives us the capacity to do, to love somebody that you might otherwise think was very unlovely. Such is what happens when you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. Let's stand in prayer, please. Our Father, with joy, we come into your presence asking that you will send the Spirit of God to reach down into our hearts and prick us over our sin. Point out our weakness and our need of you. Help us, O oh God, that we will cooperate with you in marriage. You give us the power to love. Touch the life of every woman here who has underestimated her power in the marriage. I pray that you will encourage us and speak to those who have never received Christ. Cause them to turn their lives over to you and let your hands be on the handle of their lives and their, their vocation and their time and energy. And oh God, draw those to yourself today who need to make a new commitment to the life of this church, who need to be a part of this congregation so that they might draw upon your power with the encouragement of godly networks and godly friends. In Jesus' name, amen.